This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. I'm Ann Romer. This edition of The Feed is brought to you by Peak Performance. If you are a startup, small business, or even a mid-sized enterprise needing professional HR support, your solution awaits with Peak Performance HR. Not every organization requires a full-time HR specialist, and Peak Performance HR offers fractional, flexible, and cost-effective outsourced HR services tailored to your unique needs. Please visit peakperformancehr.ca. Coming up on the feed, how inflation leads to isolation, tips on how to cope, plus the inspiring story of CFL kicker Dan Giancola, how you can be the one. But first, your health matters. COVID is making a comeback. Actually, it never left. Case numbers are back on the rise here in Ontario. Should we be worried? Let's ask infectious diseases physician Isaac Bogosh that very question. Welcome to the show, Isaac. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Anne. Should we be worried? Uh, no, we just need to be aware and, and be prepared. And, uh, you know, it's COVID this winter will probably look very similar to what it looked like last winter. So, you know, it's here. It certainly can can make us sick. Uh, it disproportionately impacts older populations. So we know if we look at, for example, who's in hospital with COVID, it's almost exclusively people over the age of 70 and really people over the age of 80. So it's especially important that those populations and those individuals uh, get get the updated vaccine when they're uh, eligible for it. And what is telling you that COVID cases are on the rise? Well, there's a lot of different metrics that we watch. There's no one metric that's perfect, but you can look at wastewater surveillance. You can look at the number of people in hospital in Ontario or in Canada. You can look at the number of tests that are done and the percentage of those that are positive. And also, it's, you know, as we say, tis the season, right? It's uh, all turning into winter. We know respiratory viruses, not just COVID, but also flu and RSV are going to be more common this time of year. And to nobody's surprise, here they are. Let's talk about vaccinations first. As you've mentioned, uh, I don't get the sense that as many people got vaccinated this fall as was hoped and as had happened last year and the year before. Is that the case? Are fewer people rolling up their sleeves? That's absolutely the case. The numbers tell the exact picture that you're painting. And, uh, you know, the thing that concerns me is the older communities, right? Those over the age of 80 and those over the age of 70. Like, these are the populations that are really disproportionately impacted by COVID. And if you look at any data from all over the world, not just Ontario or elsewhere in Canada, but look anywhere that's reporting their COVID data, hospitalizations and, and of course, sadly, deaths are overwhelmingly overwhelmingly in older populations, overwhelmingly. So we should really be focusing our efforts and doubling down on ensuring the people over the age of 80 and, of course, those over 70 have access to these vaccines. And, like, it's, you know, easy to say, but it's another thing to actually do it, right? Some people in Canada, you know, might not speak English or French and might not know what's around. Some, you know, some people might have mobility issues. There's lots of homebound seniors that might not be able to get access to these vaccines and you know so we have to bring the vaccines to the people put yeah. them in community centers put them where people live put them where people work make them available and and really make it easy for people who are especially at greatest risk for severe infection to get access to these vaccines it'll help them it'll keep them prevent more severe illness and the other thing too is it helps everyone else it keeps people out of hospital it de clogs an already very busy healthcare system 
Do you think that people, though, are, were a little turned off by the fact that they, it was mandated a couple of years ago? Now it isn't, but maybe that has made them shy away from wanting to have a vaccine, a vaccination. Yeah, I think there's lots of reasons, and that's probably one reason for many people. But I think there's a lot of different reasons as well. I think there's pandemic fatigue. I think there's loss of trust in, in public health. I think there's other competing interests. I think there's a lot of competing health interests as well. I think also people might not even know, uh, and there might be a knowledge gap, especially among those who are most vulnerable. So I think there's a lot of different issues. And, you know, just talking transparently, it's, these aren't easy issues to contend with. We have a lot of work that we need to do to ensure that the right people get access to these vaccines. So the vaccine for this fall apparently was tailored specifically to target a strain or certain strains of COVID. And the cases that you're seeing now, Isaac, are the vaccines on target? Yeah, we know the virus is going to mutate. That's exactly what it does. That's what it will do. And that's what it'll continue to do for the foreseeable future. That's just what viruses do. The vaccine was updated to be more clo- to more closely resemble the circulating virus. I hate the term managing expectations, but I think it's an appropriate term to use here. What's the vaccine going to do? The vaccine's really going to reduce the risk of more severe manifestations of the virus. You still might get COVID. It's not going to block transmission. Yeah, it might lower your risk of getting COVID for a shorter period of time, but it's not going to you know, prevent infection and transmission nearly to the same extent as it once did. But what it will do is it will lower the risk of more severe illness, such as lowering the risk of hospitalization, lowering the risk of death, and it's going to be especially important to do that in those who are at greatest risk for hospitalization and death. Two questions, rapid fire. The first is prevention. Beyond vaccines, what do you do? How do you prevent the transmission of it? Stay home if you're sick. Keep your kids home if they're sick. And while there's no mandates in place, you can reduce the risk by putting on a mask in an indoor setting where we know that most of these viruses are transmitted. And your advice if you do contract COVID? Stay home. Don't get anyone sick. The vast majority of people are going to get better in the comfort of their own home. If there's any warning signs whatsoever, if you're feeling really unwell, if there's difficulty breathing, if you can't care for yourself, come on in. We've got a wonderful health care team uh, and lots of dedicated health care providers that are happy to care for you. Infectious diseases physician Isaac Bogosh, thank you so much for joining us on the feed. My pleasure. Happy to chat. For parents, managing cold and flu symptoms in children, well, that can be overwhelming. Tina Cortez now with the doctor's preventative strategies. Dr. Stephanie Liu, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. So Dr. Liu, just moments ago, right here on the feed, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, in conversation with Ann Romer, addressed the rising COVID numbers. Now, parents are also navigating cold and flu season. You got to admit, it's safe to assume that, you know, parents are feeling overwhelmed these days. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. And and I'm a parent. And I'll say that there's been times over the past few weeks where I felt quite overwhelmed. Um, And that's likely because a few weeks ago, my kids got sick and so did my husband and I. Uh, So did my husband and myself. And when when you're sick, you want to be able to rest. But as a parent, you're often not only just looking after yourself, but also looking after others in the family, which makes it really hard to do that rest and recovery. And the other thing that's stressful is when your kids are sick, they can't go to school. So you're also navigating, you know, how to to work with a sick little one at home too. Balancing work, family, cold and flu season and rising COVID numbers. It's very tough for families right now. It certainly is a balancing act, isn't it? Because if one thing is out of whack, 
everything becomes out of whack. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned that you're a parent, but you're also a family doctor. How do you suggest parents try to prevent infections or treat their child at home? Yeah, so hand hygiene is key um, in preventing and preventing, preventing the spread of infection. Um, some tips that I recommend for families at home to help recover is the number one thing is to make sure that you stay hydrated. One of my favorite tips is dilute apple juice. So what that is is half water, half apple juice. And it's important to remember to dilute the apple juice because too much sugar can actually dehydrate you more. And the dilute apple juice is good because it also contains the apple juice, which contains the salts and the sugars to rehydrate, and kids like the taste of it. And the next thing is, this is if you have a child that's over a year of age, honey is very helpful for coughs. Um, and in fact, there's some studies out there that say that honey can reduce cough frequency and severity in kids. And one product that I like is the Zarbi's honey syrup for coughs. Sore throat, gargling salt water is helpful. That's something I've done since I was a little kid whenever I get a sore throat. Over-the-counter medications, I really like Tylenol and Motrin. Um, they're very helpful for managing the muscle aches and the throat pain and, and for fever uh, that you can get with the common cold and flu. Um, and another thing I like is homemade chicken soup. And interestingly, there was a study that was done that showed that there actually are potentially some anti-inflammatory properties in chicken soup, which can help reduce the severity of common cold symptoms. All right, some great tips there. Let's review them once again. So half water, half apple juice, honey, gargling, over-the-counter meds, and homemade soup. All right, those sound great. But how does a parent know when to go to the ER or save a trip to the hospital? Yeah, awesome question. So, you know, the first thing I, I talk about is if you have a really little one, so a baby less than three months of age and they have a fever, that's a good, a good time that you should get assessed. So a little one less than three months, fever, get checked out. If they're not able to maintain their fluid intake, that's another time to worry. If they look like they're having difficulty breathing, so that means it looks like they're breathing really, really fast or they're working really hard to breathe, that's another time to worry. If your little one is really sleepy, um, difficult to wake up, that's another time that I think assessment is important. Diff neck, confusion are other times free. And what's the difference between the cold, a common cold, and the flu? Yeah. So the flu and the common cold are both types of upper respiratory tract infections. And they're both caused by viruses. And sometimes it can be tough to differentiate because they share similar symptoms like the cough, the muscle aches, and the fatigue, but they're different. So the, one of the main features is with the flu, the symptoms are often much worse than a cold, and it's typically associated with a fever, and the onset of symptoms are fast right away. Hmm. The common cold, on the other hand, has a more gradual onset of symptoms, and a stuffy, no stuffy or runny nose is a common symptom. And as I kind of mentioned earlier, colds don't typically result in serious health problems such as pneumonia or hospitalization. But the flu can have some very seriously serious associated complications. So, Dr. Liu, is, you know, as if you're not busy enough, you're a parent, you're a family physician, you're also the founder of By Dr. Mom. Why did you start this company? What's it all about? Yeah, so um, as a family doctor and a mom, I see a lot of dry, itchy, and eczema skin. I think all of us do, especially in this northern climate. And topical steroids are effective for treating, you know, inflamed eczema skin. Um, but over the years, a lot of my patients said, you know, Dr. Liu, we want natural products instead. 
But unfortunately, many of the natural products on the market are often not designed for sensitive skin and can actually dry out your skin and even irritate your skin more. Um, and so serendipitously at the University of Alberta, where I'm a professor, assistant professor, they developed a technology to extract a fiber that's found in oats and barley called beta-glucan. And this beta-glucan is special uh, because it's been shown in clinical studies to help heal and hydrate the skin. Uh, so with a team of scientists and physicians, we uh, used that special beta-glucan and created uh, the Dr. Mom Soothing Beta-Glucan Bath and Soothing Beta-Glucan Cream. Wow, that's great stuff. One, you know, before we let you go, one last piece of advice for parents listening right now, knowing that they have a few more months of cold and flu season ahead of them. Yeah, so I always say sleep is important and so is vitamin D. If you're not getting enough sleep, it's going to affect our immune systems. And in fact, there's studies that say if you're not getting enough sleep, you are at higher risk of getting colds and flus. The other thing is vitamin D. We all know vitamin D for keeping our bones healthy, but it can also may have a role in preventing the common cold as well, especially if you have a deficiency in vitamin D. Thank you so much for your time today and for the advice. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up on the feed, coping with inflation isolation. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. Here's the headline. Ontarians grapple with inflation isolation. According to a newly released MNP Limited Ipsos survey, rising costs are impacting mental health, increasing loneliness, isolation, stress, and anxiety. Here to help us understand this inflation isolation phenomenon is Carol Newbery Mitchell, licensed insolvency trustee with MNP Limited. Good to have you on the show, Carol. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So what is this inflation isolation phenomenon? What's happening? Yeah. So, you know, as the licensed insolvency trustee, we regularly see that being in financial difficulty or having financial challenges affects your mental health. Um, however, what we're seeing now is that the combination of the inflation, which is increasing the cost of living, um, the increased interest rates, which is increasing the cost of servicing debt, we're seeing that what's happening is there's this, as you mentioned, isolation, um, inflation isolation phenomenon where people are, are pulling back from socializing, from spending time with friends and family in order to cut their spending. And depending on who you are, um, you know, maybe if you're a young person, that has a you know, really big effect on your life and on your mental health. I pulled some statistics from your survey. So 52% of respondents are staying home more often. Nearly one in five are experiencing a sense of social isolation. 39% are feeling increased stress. 18% say they are lonely. And a third are saying that they are forking out more in their monthly debt payments compared to a year ago. None of this makes sense, dollars and cents, but it seems to be affecting one's mental health and one's ability to cope with the social aspects of life. Yeah, and like I said earlier, we, we see this regularly. It's, it's not something new to us, but the combination of these two things that's happening right now, I think is really having a huge impact on people. Um, and one of the statistics also that, that came out of the survey 
was that nearly half, 46% of those surveyed, don't believe that they'll be able to cover all of their living and family expenses in the next 12 months without going into further debt. So that's increased from previous um, surveys. And so you can see that also it's about what's happening right now with inflation and the cost of living, but it's also people have anxiety over what's going to happen in the future. So are are people feeling embarrassed? Are they feeling angry? Are they feeling that they're worthless because their worth is less? There's a lot of guilt and shame associated with being in financial difficulty. And for that reason, a lot of people do pull back just for those reasons. Um, It's also a reason why people often don't reach out for help because it's such a heavy burden to be bearing on their own. Um, And it's embarrassing for some people to reach out and let other people know that the reason they're not coming out for dinner is because they simply can't afford it. Um, Or, you know, even socializing at home has become more expensive because of the cost of groceries. So there's, there's so much guilt and shame, and that contributes to people not socializing, and it also contributes to people not reaching out for help. How important is financial literacy in all of this? There's another stat. 17% say they don't understand fully why or how interest rate increases are impacting their financial situation. That sounds like a, a, a part of financial literacy. Yeah, it's, it's a huge issue. It's a huge part of it. Um, and I think it also contributes to people feeling like they have no... Um, when they don't understand it, it's like they have no control. They don't know how to make a change and make it better. And so, again, it contributes to um, a feeling of um, hopelessness that about their situation. If they don't have the tools to um, either figure out how to get themselves out of the situation they're in or just plan for the future um, or to get help with possibly a debt situation that they have right now. It's interesting. You did mention that there is shame and maybe embarrassment when it comes to reasons that you're telling your friends why you can't be with them because you can't afford it and you don't want to say that to them. What about the the shame and embarrassment of being called by collection agencies when you are deeply in debt? That's got to hurt. It's really, really difficult. And especially when we hear people saying, you know, they're calling my employer, they're calling my sister because I put my number on the credit application years ago or something like that. Um, you know, and they just, you know, sometimes people you know, respond by burying their head in the sand and they might deal with this for five, 10 years before they get help. Um, and so, yeah, the, the most important thing is knowing that there is help out there. And a licensed insolvency trustee, um, such as MMP and such as myself, um, we are required to provide unbiased expert advice on all of the options available to you, even if it's not a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, which are services that we offer. Um, but we can also advi- offer advice on budgeting. Um, maybe a debt consolidation plan is all you need. Um, you know, there are other options. And speaking with a licensed insolvency trustee, is always free and it's always confidential. And why is it important that someone in financial trouble and, and experiencing mental health issues as a result, why is it important that they reach out to someone who is licensed, a licensed insolvency trustee? It is really important because unfortunately, just like many other industries, unregulated, unregulated professionals are just that. They don't have a requirement to um, uphold certain standards that are set by whether it's uh, industry associations or whether it's by the federal government. And so, um, as I mentioned, a licensed insolvency trustee, which is fairly regulated, uh, we are required to provide all options, um, and we are the only ones that are experts 
in, in respect of debt issues. Carol, we are in December now, and it's full-on shopping time and celebrations and gatherings. This has got to be a really difficult time for somebody who is struggling with inflation isolation. Yeah, uh, in some ways, the timing couldn't be worse. Um, but again, I encourage anyone who is um, feeling the guilt and the shame and it's stopping them from um, socializing or stopping them from getting help, if it is a debt issue, to reach out for help um, because help can happen um, quickly. It's not something that you have to sit and, and deal with for years and years, which unfortunately a lot of people do. How can people get in touch with you, Carol? We can be reached at our website, www.mnpdebt.ca. Carol Newbury-Mitchell, licensed insolvency trustee with MNP Limited. Thank you so much. Ah, to the rescue, Janet Gray with Money Coaches Canada. Welcome, Janet. Always a pleasure to have you with us on the feed. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So inflation isolation, making headlines. Is it unusual for people facing financial challenges to feel the effects on their mental health? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's kind of a fancy name for something that people have been struggling with for a long time. You know, in, in, it's, it's money, it's, it's personal finance, it's the mystery, it's the challenges, it's the emotions around it all. So that part of it is not new, but there's, you know, a new name to it and it bears talking about because it's still valid. I googled money and mental health and wow, a whole bunch of stuff came up. Uh, it seems that mental health and money problems are inextricably linked. Why is that? Why does it take such a toll on our mental health when we're having financial problems? I think at, at the basic level, I mean, there are unfortunately people that are unable to pay for their groceries. They're going to the food bank or there's people that are unable to, you know, they're, they're homeless. Like there's a lot of, you know, basic needs effects on this. But there's also societal needs on, you know, people are judged by the amount of money they have, whether that's right or wrong. But we're certainly judged by, I live in a smaller house than you. I drive a smaller car than you. I have more debt than you. So it's very, it's something that society judges people on, their finances. But it's something that, of course, we reverse that and judge ourselves. And I mean, that's the hardest burden, I think, to overcome is how we self-judge ourselves. One of the salient points that came out of the survey by MNP and Ipsos was that social behavior is changing as a result of the pressure people are feeling when it comes to inflation, high cost of living, high interest rates, just everything that has to do with money. So they're not going out as much. They're not. They're staying home. They're not joining f with friends in festive activities because they can't afford to do anything. So they're isolating. They're self-isolating. I, I kind of agree. I, I do agree with that. I'm. I guess I'm a little hesitant about ascribing too much negativity to the fact that people are now making maybe more responsible decisions around their money mm. because of the situation they're in. I think that's always a good, a good thing to do. If I can't afford to go out, then I won't go out. I don't like that it's becoming socially isolating because I think we've been kind of doing that for the last couple of years anyway. Um, so I don't like that, but I think there's ways to overcome that. But I'm kind of happy <laughs> to, to see that people are taking the responsibility, you know, if they can, and pulling back on some of those discretionary things they're doing um, and allowing themselves to kind of, you know, maybe make some amends on their money, like maybe pay, pay down some debt or uh, not incur new debt with the other side. How important, Janet, in your view, is financial literacy? 
huge. It's one of my mm. pulpit items. Is that so? <laughs> I, I'm often trying to preach it to sometimes the choir, but often not. It's, it's very essential. And I think maybe that's what this is bringing out as well, is that there's a lot of people who are, are a lot of people that are not informed about the impact that overspending can have, certainly on their financial well-being, but also on their mental health well-being. Um, so I think it, it's, it's important to be able to say to our children to, and to many adults, here's some of the basics you need to know, and here's what the impacts are if you choose this path versus that path. So I wouldn't want to put you in an awkward position by asking you for tips on how to cope with inflation isolation because we sort of move into the mental health part of it and you're not a psychologist and I'm certainly not either. Maybe what's best for me to do is to ask you for tips on how to deal with debt and how to increase your financial literacy. Yeah, good. No, good idea. And I I agree. There are some things that I think people can do um, to minimize the isolation. Like I said, I wouldn't, I don't have an argument with people you know, having to deal with the effects of their of their um, finances because you know, in in many cases, it was self created. Um, sometimes it sometimes not. But let's talk about the self created ones. Is that um, maybe instead of uh, finding money things to do, which is keeping you inside, how about finding free things to do? So I'm thinking about um, things like um, you know, going meeting your friends in a free location um, par- in the park. Maybe you bring your own coffee to the park. Maybe you are doing potlucks where everyone brings, I'm bringing the dessert, you bring the main course. You know, we're doing things that are a little more community supported, and even in your small little friend community, um, that's not costing everyone a lot of money, but it's still encouraging the coming together, reducing the isolation, but not costing anybody a lot of money. Do you suggest that people admit to themselves that they are in trouble financially? Do you go beyond that and say, well, you know, your your closest friends and family, maybe you come clean with them as well? I think that's important to kind of face face it yourself and admit that, you know, that there is a challenge. Uh, for some people, it's more a detrimental challenge than others. But you may even have to, um, you know, say to your friends and family, I'm sorry, I can't do this event. I can't spend this much at Christmas this year. I can't do it because I'm really trying hard to pay off my debt. And I think most, most people would probably commend you on doing that and going, yay you, um, this is a positive step forward. We've been wondering when you might get to that point. So I think it, it's, it's still very uh, hard to admit that people have this, this, what they perceive as a downfall. But I think that there's also some uplift in admitting I'm having some challenges. Here are the steps I'm taking to, to reduce that challenge um, or that, the effects of that challenge. Um, at the same time, you may need to up-level it a little bit and look for a professional to, to speak to as well and say, you know, what are the things that I can do in my specific circumstance? What about attitude? And that's probably one of the most difficult things to monitor and also to create. But you're, we talked about financial literacy, but your financial attitude, and, and maybe that sort of spills over to every part of your life. But what should or could one's financial attitude be or become someone who is dealing with, with tremendous debt? Sure. And I think, you know, it, it's like we just mentioned about acknowledging that it is a challenge, acknowledge that you probably may not be able to do it yourself, that you need to get professional help. Um, at the very least, you should speak to your creditors and say, look, I'm having some challenges. I can't pay you $25 this month. Can I pay you 15 So it's not something you can ignore or should ignore because it'll just manifest and just grow larger. So it's something that, that um, 
you know, it, and it's hard. It's a switch, right? I mean, you just can't go off on. It's something that's gradual. But, you know, if you ease into it, um, I think it'll be an easier process. And in the end, you know, you will have learned, okay, that didn't work out so well, so I'm not going to repeat that behavior. Is it important to remind yourself that you're not alone? Very much, very much, because that's what the, that's what I think why people are maybe withdrawing is because they're feeling, well, because I can't go out for dinner with my friends, I'm, I'm going to isolate myself or feel isolated because I'm not part of that group while they're having, a, they're having fun, I'm here. So there's a lot of, a lot of that social anxiety in a, in a society that was already kind of anxious anyway. Um, but I think if you, you know, um, have a plan, here's what I should do, here's, here's who I should contact, here's, you know, building some awareness try not to ignore it. Uh, silence is not golden in, in cases like this. You really need to shine the light on your own stuff and try and get it into, into play. Janet Gray, Money Coaches Canada. How can people get in touch with you? Um, go to our website. It's www.moneycoachescanada.ca and you'll find me there. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. After the break, the player, the stroke and chasing your dreams. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. I'm Ann Romer. In his new book, CFL kicker Dan Giancola shares his story of inspiration in spite of the challenges. Jim Lang has more. Everyone thinks that life is going to go along smoothly and then wham, you're hit upside the head by something you don't expect. And I, I can't think of anyone who's a better example of that than Dan Giancola, a star soccer player as a teenager, a star kicker in the CFL, a star personal fitness trainer for years. And then he was almost knocked out with a near fatal heart attack and stroke. But two years later, he's a best-selling author, the writer of a book called Be That One, why does it have to be someone else and why not me? And he joins us today in the feed. Dan, how are you? Oh, man, I'm doing great. How about you? Well, good. Dan, you and I had known each other a long time. And after football, I used to follow you closely. We were Facebook friends. And I saw the work you did as a personal trainer. And like a lot of people, I was stunned to hear that you had a stroke and heart attack for someone as fit as you. Tell the listeners how could someone that fit and that healthy have something like that happen to them you know uh jim honestly man um it, it shocked me as as much as it did so many other people um may 20th 2020 um i had what they call the widow maker um the doctors told me that i should have uh, i should have died right there in the studio um and by the grace of god of course thank god i didn't um for me, it's my uh, my mom had a heart attack. Uh, sorry, my dad had a heart attack. My uncle had a heart attack. Uh, their dad had a heart attack, and my mom's dad had a heart attack on a plane at the age of fifty and passed away. So, you know, uh, genetically, uh, it's like they say it was like a hot knife through butter. Um, my stroke—that was a different story, honestly. Um, I was just sitting here in my studio, had a fantastic day. This is two years after I had had my, uh, my heart attack and, uh, all of a sudden it just came on. And, uh, by the grace of God, I had my doors unlocked here at my studio and 
uh, one of my friends happened to walk in and find me on the floor and, um, he called, uh, he called 911. They came and thank God they administered uh, the shot when they, when they did. Um, I had what they call the level 17, a grade 17 stroke, which is, uh, which I'm told is, uh, permanent disability and, um, in death. And, uh, once again, thanking God that, uh, I'm here with all my faculties, and um, honestly, I, I can't believe it. I'm just, I just feel so blessed. And Dan, it, it, it must be more than just your physical attributes and your training and your health. That, that Have you as healthy and sounding so good as you are just a few years after those big health scares? What What is it about you that is able to overcome this and be such a positive influence in people's lives? Honestly, man, I really don't know. You know, um, when I do my motivational speaking, one of the things that I always, uh, I'm really starting to really kind of focus on now is my three whys. You know, initially when it happens to you, you know, the first one is, you know, you're, you're sad, you're devastated. You know, oh, why me? Why me? The, the second one, you're angry. You're angry. You're like, why me? Like, why? What, right. what have I done? And then the third one is, why not me? You know, what makes me any more special than the next person? And, you know, um, obviously I'm still here. Obviously I have all my faculties and I'm able to do this. And that's my, for me, that's, that's my why. It's, it's to hear and hopefully inspire people to, you know, and just believe and, you know, that not everything in life, I mean, everything in life happens for a reason. And for me, it was just trying to figure out what it was like, why, why did I have a heart attack? Why did I have a stroke? And I, I got it. And, and through that, you know, I wrote my book and my book is, you know, I didn't want this book to be primarily about, you know, football. It wasn't supposed to be a football book. It's supposed to be an inspiral, uh, inspiring book about beating the odds in life and beating the odds on the football field. And so, you know, that's, that's why I did what I did. Speaking to Dan Giancola, who, along with veteran and uh, best-selling author Perry Lefko, put together a really cool new book called Be That One. Why does it have to be someone else? Why not be? It is out now. You can get it on Amazon and where you buy your favorite books. And, and Dan, I, and one thing you talk a lot about is is your life partner, your wife, your, your best friend, Christina. I mean, is it possible you could be where you are today without her? You know, man, I really honestly say this, Jim, that... You know, people always go obviously to the to the person that you know that it's happened to. You know, for example, me. Excuse me, but my wife and my daughter have you know felt you know I guess you can see the magnitude from everything, and they go through it just like you do, and they really have been great supporters. My wife's been a great supporter, and, and you know, and, and my daughter and everybody around me, you know, have just been absolutely amazing and understanding and you know you go through you know depression anxiety ptsd well guess what like they're affected by it too it's not just me that it affects it affects people around me and you know even my 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 clients here at my studio you know how they support me and you know it's just um it's just an being on the radio with you right now i mean you know, it, it's just, it's really special. It really is. You um, alluded to it earlier, and for a lot of years, you were a, a top personal trainer and extremely fit. Are you back to being a trainer again, Dan? 
Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I was back, uh, my Lord, uh, after I had my heart attack, I was back at it, I think, three months later. I had Ooh. to be off for a certain amount of time, um, you know, just doctor's orders. Uh, and then the stroke, I had it August 17th, uh, 2022. And I was back in here a month later. And, um, you know, of course, you know, with, you know, the blessing, uh, actually, it was two weeks later. What am I saying? A month later, it was two weeks later. And, you know, again, just a blessing to be back in here. And I haven't stopped. I, I honestly have not stopped. I, I've done everything the doctors have asked me to do. And uh, I think that really is the key to success. The one thing I, I know about the CFL from years covering it is it's a tight-knit family. When you had your heart attack, how many former players and coaches, uh, teammates and foes reached out to you to offer support? Oh, my Lord. I'm, I'm telling you, man, that was, uh, it's not, like you said, it's a brotherhood, right? Um, and it's for life. It really is for life. I had guys like Kelly Wilshire, who I played with, yeah. you know, in 99. He messaged me right away, and Kelly's like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? I heard. And, you know, Andre Kerwan messaged me, Pinball, Mazzotti, O'Shea, uh, Prefontaine, you know, they all reached out to me, and it just was the most amazing feeling to know, you know, about, you know, about that brotherhood that that's always there. And uh, again, just that family, just what an amazing feeling. I know you've been out and about, Dan, promoting the book. What kind of feedback are you getting from you know everyday people, maybe not involved in personal training or the CFL, who are reading your book and being inspired by it? Oh my God, it's been so overwhelming. You know, yesterday we had our lunch, and um, the amount of people that came in with their book in hand already have read it and, you know, have gone on to leave reviews on Amazon. And, you know, one of the things they're saying, like from Pinball, Pinball did, Mike uh, did my, my forward, and uh, the one of my clients came up to me and said, you owe me $1.99, and we just <laughs> sat there and we laughed. I go, what do you mean? And she said, uh, you know, you owe me $1.99 for Kleenex. I started oh. crying right from the forward. And um, that was so cool to hear. And then, you know, talking about how they've been through it and what they've gone through. And now, like, they feel like, oh, my God, like, it happened to you. It could happen to anyone. And we just feel so empowered by it. And that's, that is the biggest thing that I want out of this book, honestly, Jim, is just to inspire people and know that they're not alone. And, you know, that it can happen to you. It happened to me. And... You know, you're not alone, and that's the key. Yeah, well, I'm, okay, maybe I'm a little biased because I was on the sidelines when you kicked your very first field goal, Dan, in the CFL, so I, I couldn't be happier for you. The book is called Be That One. Why does it have to be someone else? Why not me? Get it on Amazon. Get it elsewhere. It's a fantastic read, and it's a kind of inspiring story we need right now. Dan Giancola, thanks so much for joining us in the feed. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jim. I, I can't tell you what this means to me, man. Thank you so much. Shaliza Bacchus is next with the Up From The Roots presentation of When Brothers Speak. You know, I feel like we all have taken in hip-hop in a different way, but what we don't think about a lot of the time is the foundation where hip-hop comes from, and that is spoken word. And I don't know if you've ever experienced a spoken word concert, but it is a level of energy that is unmatched. It is a level of talent that is unmatched. And joining me now to talk about this amazing event coming up is spoken word artist Dwayne Morgan. And wait for it. 
Grammy-nominated Sean William. How are you guys? Excellent, excellent. Amazing, great. How are you? I'm great. Thank you Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're so excited to have you on. And we're going to be talking about When Brothers Speak, the spoken word concert. And it's actually celebrating 25 years. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed that it's still going on. And how has it been over the last 25 years putting this on? Like, can you take us back to 25 years ago and how things have progressed up till now? Yeah, you know, when I first started it, you know, I was performing in the States and I met uh, so many great artists. And I'm like, man, you know, people in Toronto would love to to hear these poets, but there was no vehicle uh, or platform that would allow that to happen. So I created When Brothers Speak as a way to, you know, bring artists that I was meeting when I was on tour to Toronto to perform. And the first one we did at a spot called the Comfort Zone in downtown Toronto is like a, a dingy club. We had like 400 people like squeezed in there. And now it's grown to the point where we hosted at the, you know, St. Lawrence Center for the Arts. It's, you know, fancy people, you know, dress up and ushers bring you to your seats. And it's uh, it's really elevated um, this whole idea of of the spoken word and kind of taking it out of, you know, the the dingy clubs and, and into a, a polished, refined date night kind of uh, environment. That's really interesting that you say that because I feel like I can see that progression in my mind. You know what I mean? And it's so cool, the people that you get to collaborate. And I do also want to mention that you are a local dude through and through because you're a Scarborough Walk of Fame inductee. That is correct. So, you know, anybody in Scarborough, if you if you go to the Scarborough Walk of Fame inside the Scarborough Town Center, there's a big star with my name on it and people walk over me all day. But that's the only <laughs> only area that I allow people to walk all over me. So, you know, <laughs> it's a, a great acknowledgement of the work I've been doing over the years to to be a, a part of the, the Scarborough Walk of Fame. That is that is amazing. We love to hear it. We love staying local here at the region. And Sean, you're also going to be taking part as well. Yes, I am so excited and um, also appreciative and humbled to be doing this. I've been doing spoken word for over 20 years. And when Brothers Speak is one of the ones I always put on my my calendar. And, and the last time I was there is in 2019. And it was, it was amazing. Uh, the audience, everybody got it. The individuals who were on the bill that time, really amazing spoken word artists. And I really just had a good time um, with the show. So coming back after the pandemic in 2023 to the same venue, I'm just really excited to let this crowd get this work. Yes, as they should. And I, I do want to paint a picture for our audience a little bit in case people don't necessarily understand the difference between, let's say, spoken word and rap music. What would you say the difference is? If you strip away the the music behind the hip hop and you're just left with the story, I mean, that's the easiest way to understand what, you know, spoken word is. We we create that melody with our words, with our voice. Uh, so there is no beat. It's just, you know, us standing on stage, bearing our souls with the stories that that we have created and using, you know, language, voice to to create that melody that connects us with, with the audience. So, I mean, Sean, if you want to add some more to that. No, I mean, I really think that you got that. It's We're not hiding behind a beat. We're not using a sample that might have been from your grandmother's time. We might be taking a sample of a memory that we have, but we don't have background dancers and catchy beats and hooks. We we give you um, the honest words where it gets back to what some of hip hop was about. Just really the the words, the the education, the storytelling, the lyricism. 
So it's the stripped down version of what hip hop rap music is. But I think we do better now. We, we've advanced past the so-called MCs. We are the MCs now. No, I, I agree 100%. And I feel like, you know, I've been to a few spoken word shows and I feel like you just feel the words and the lyrics so much harder when that's all that there is to take in. So what has producing this show and just producing spoken word content in general meant to you over the years? It's really special because there are so few events like When Brothers Speak. And, and for anyone who does not know, When Brothers Speak, it's six Black men from different places sharing their lived experiences and their stories. So just to, to be able to listen to Black men to confront the stereotypes that exist about Black men, that we only do this or we only do that, but to actually spend the night where all you're doing is listening to Black men, I think it is so profound and so special. And I think for people who come, especially for people who show up who aren't part of the Black community, is such a great learning experience because it is a window into things that you might not have realized, you might not have thought about, you might not have felt before. So it's really a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, and depending on where you're at when you come in, your experience is going to be different. You're going to engage with the stories in a different kind of way. So I think being able to facilitate that being able to create a space where artists are able to get on stage and there's they look out and there's all these people just hanging on every word and just giving them back this love i think you know for the artists it's a great experience for the audience it's a great experience and me just being able to facilitate that conversation in that space is is really a, a beautiful thing we should give um Dwayne a little bit more flowers on this because I've been watching for the last few years. Some of my brothers have been on there, Andrew Tyree, Javon Johnson, Rudy Francisco. He does a great job of making sure that he picks the right spoken word artist. He has a, a long Rolodex of people he can choose from. He makes sure that he has a great array of, of Black men so they speak on different ranges, but still powerful messages. So I salute you for that. Thank you. I love that. I love to hear the support and the mutual respect between you guys. And I feel like that is a theme that's really important to drive home as well. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, you hear so much about, you know, competition and all these kinds of things. And I mean, I love competition. It's important. But there's also that element of collaboration. There's that element of of love and mutual respect. That's There's that element of being able to to celebrate and cheer each other on and, and push each other forward in this idea of, you know, iron sharpens iron. So it's like Sean gets nominated for the Grammy. It's like, yo, that's a win for me, too, because it's a win for spoken word. It, it shows what's possible. You know, last year, J.I.V. Won, won the Grammy for Spoken Word. I've had him on When Brothers Speak, you know, in the past as well. So, you know, all of these things aren't you sit there and say, oh, man, I wish it was me. It's like, nah, this is me. This is us. This is something that, yeah, it might be Sean's name on it, but we can all rally around and be like, yo, this is so important. I'm happy for you. It's having that ability to move out of, oh, I'm, I'm just competing against somebody to no, we're working on something bigger here. We're working on what can we do so that when we're no longer doing this, we can look back and be like, I was a part of that. And I think that's even what's more important. And, you know, again, Sean and I have been doing this for a long time. So now we're moving into that that legacy phase of what do I leave behind? And Sean, uh, Dwayne mentioned Grammy nominated. I mentioned off the top of the interview, you are nominated for a Grammy. Tell us about that. <laughs> I mean, it's time. Like For me, it's time, not just for myself, but for this art. So a couple of years ago, well, the last 10, 15 years, spoken word was put into this category at the Grammys 
where it was best spoken word, poetry, and audio book. And so that that puts the category pretty big. So it would be, let's say, a Jay Ivy or a Sekou the Misfit going against Michelle Obama's book or Dave Chappelle's album. You're not going to beat Michelle Obama or Dave Chappelle. So it was a great thing to be nominated, but spoken word artists weren't able to, you know, really win. So now, uh, after a couple of years, Jay Ivey had this campaign. Shout out to Jay Ivey, a really talented poet. He had all the spoken word artists submit albums, become Grammy voters. And so we got the category split into best spoken word poetry album. And so it's just for the poets. It's just for the spoken word artists. And last year was the first year was the category and Jay Ivey rightfully so won it. And now this year you have myself, um, who did an album, a collaborative album with Prentice Powell called For Your Consideration 24. And yes, we were we were bold enough to name our album For Your Consideration 24. And we planned on going for a Grammy a year before we were nominated. You also have, uh, I believe this sister was on When Sisters Speak, Queen Sheba. So she's nominated a very talented uh, sister named Aja Monet. You have Jay Ivey coming back, trying to get his back to back and a very talented writer, but also spoken word artist, Kevin Powell. If you don't know who Kevin Powell is, he did the real famous Tupac article for the source of the vibe. I'm sorry if I got the magazines incorrect, but either the source or vibe when he was just getting out of prison. So it's a really talented category. I'm excited. I'm going to walk the red carpet. We're going to be on CBS. I'm getting my suit. But like Dwayne said, it's really, it's a win for all of us in spoken word. We are, we're pushing the envelope. It is time. It is time for us to get paid. We're not just spoken word artists. We are writers. We are actors. We are comics on that stage. We are MCs on that stage. And it's it's our time to push this envelope. That is absolutely amazing. I love to hear that. I am so looking forward to everything you're going to bring to that stage. So it's happening on December the 9th, 8 p.m. at the St. Lawrence Center for the Arts. If we want to get more information and get tickets and follow you guys, where can we go? Uh, tickets, you can just go to Ticketmaster and you can get your tickets on socials. I am Dwayne underscore Morgan. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E underscore Morgan. And Sean, you can let them know where you're at. I am Sean William. No S at the end of William. So I am S-H-A-W-N-W-I-L-L-I-A-M on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that. All of that. Thank you guys so much. Once again, the Where Brothers Speak spoken word event happening at the St. Lawrence Center for the Arts on December the 9th. We are looking forward to it. Thank you guys so much. And thank you for all that you've brought to the community, especially here in Scarborough, Dwayne. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. If you missed any part of the feed, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you so much for listening.